everybody. My name is Sheila McCann, and I welcome you to Baking with House of Bread. And today it's going to be about spelt bread. And if you listen to po podcast episode number 46, it was about ancient grains, and I go into a lot more detail in that episode about ancient grains, which spelt happens to be one of them. In this episode, I'm going to give you a recipe for a whole grain spelt. And just like wheat, there's a white spelt and then there's a whole grain spelt. It's the same thing. It's a it the spelt berry looks much similar to the wheat berry. Um, and there's three parts. So the endosperm, which is the middle of it, that's your white spelt flour. Also, it contains the wheat germ in the bran, much like the wheat berry. And that's considered your whole grain spelt. In the bakery, we carry just the whole grain. Um, and the reason that you may want to consider incorporating spelt into your, uh, well, you can actually incorporate it into other recipes, um, much like you would wheat. If you have a recipe for oh, a mixture of flours, you can pretty easily substitute the whole grain spelt for the wheat um, or the white spelt flour as well. And then the other thing I'll tell you about spelt is that it has a reputation as being more nutritious for you. And I did some research for this podcast, which I will include links in the bottom of the show notes. Um, and essentially it has the same nutritional value as a wheat berry, but more so. So it's a good source of calcium, magnesium, selenium, zinc, iron, magnesium, it has vitamin E and B complex vitamins, uh, much like the wheat, but where it's better, it has about double the amount of vitamin K of wheat, as well as there are several minerals which are slightly higher in spelt, such as iron, potassium, and zinc. So in many respects, spelt is more nutritious than wheat. And the bottom line is that you get a whole grain spelt. It's a great way to incorporate more fiber into your diet as well. Many people come in the bakery and they're looking for gluten-free. And I kind of recognize my regular gluten-free customers. And then I just know people that come in and they, you know, heard about gluten-free being better free or whatever. And they're, so they come in and ask for gluten-free. So I'll tell them about spelt, or I actually have a, a little sign up by the spelt breads about it. And the reason why is because if they're just gluten intolerant, then I really want them to try the spelt bread because it tastes good and it's much more similar to our traditional bread. It's got, you know, the good texture, it holds up well. And um, whereas if they have to go to 100% gluten-free loaf, if they if they must, which celiacs have to, it's gluten-free bread, you know, just in a yeasted product, this is not as good. <laughs> it doesn't get the height, doesn't have the structure. I mean, there's a lot of reasons and it's expensive. So my gluten-free flour is like eight times as expensive as my regular flour. But I do try to understand that a lot of people can't handle gluten to the level. And if you've been listening to this podcast at all, you'll know that I'm a big proponent of avoiding vital wheat gluten, which is an excessive form of gluten that many commercial bakeries use, as well as some home bakers. That's if you have gluten sensitivities. And then the other thing is, is that if you find like a whole grain, a good recipe, because a lot of the wheat bread that's in the grocery store, I mean, it's crap, right? I can tell you this. So you, you, <laughs> not only does it likely have vital wheat gluten, but, but it has a bunch of other stuff in it. So 
if you're buying from a bakery, um, you really want to find out what's in it. But the same time is, is that I will tell you that if you can't have a natural made wheat product, you know, for whatever reason you bloat or, you know, you just, it just doesn't work for you. Um, then I would encourage you to try spelt. That's really the answer to people that have gluten intolerances that do not have celiacs. And what they tell people that do have celiacs, if you're going to cheat and have real bread, have spelt bread because it's not quite as bad. So it has a lower gluten content. And how it was explained to me is that it actually, um, gluten develops like a corkscrew and spelt winds the opposite direction. And I first entered spelt about 15 years ago. So I was getting a few requests for it. So I called my flour supplier, which happens to be Montana, and I asked them, who orders a lot of spelt flour? So what I did is I called up the bakery owner and I asked them for their recipe. So not only did they give me their recipe, they also sent me a loaf of their spelt bread with the recipe. And, you know, bakery owners are basically really nice people <laughs> most often. Um, and I think they get into business because they really love to bake and share their products. And it was very kind of them. Anyway, unfortunately, their bread just didn't taste that good. And I'm thinking, geez, I don't know if I want to sell this because it just wasn't that good tasting. And in my opinion, it doesn't matter if a bread is really nutritious for you. You know, if it doesn't taste good, people aren't going to buy it on a regular basis. I thought, well, maybe it was the shipping. So I basically took the recipe and I made a fresh batch of spelt bread. And, you know, it really didn't taste good either. So it was also turned out kind of short, kind of squatty, a little bit too dense. So then what I ended up doing is just took my honey whole wheat recipe and I just substituted 100% whole wheat spelt flour. I did make a few more tweaks in it, but that was basically 90% of the same recipe and it is delicious. So many years later, that's still what we make at the House of Bread is that um, spelt recipe. And what I did, what I changed from the honey whole wheat one is that, well, first of all, I don't you got to be careful about over mixing spelt and you got to be careful about under mixing. I mean, you got to be careful about all these things and all, all doughs, but more so with spelt because it's got a little bit of a weaker gluten, gluten structure. So you got to develop it and you'll know, you know, that test, right? See if you've got gluten structures, you know, you start pulling on the dough. Does it hold together? You know, you can do those window pane tests, but, and then you really get in a feel that, Hey, I've got the ability to, you know, have this dough rise one time on the counter and another time withstand an oven spring without getting a bunch of holes in it. And I can tell you that this, well, how I train my bakers, your white base breads, they're kind of your no-brainer breads. So when you have, you know, six, eight doughs you're doing in the morning, um, mix your white breads, but don't pay that much attention to them as much as timing is your whole grain bread. So you have to be focused on your whole grains because that's where a lot of the timing is much more crucial. And then when I tell them, if you're doing spelt, if spelt is in the uh, production that day, that's your focus. So time it so when you're not going to get distracted, got to give it a priority. So if you got, you know, spelt and sourdough and whatever else, grandma's white and a bunch, and, and you get behind on your production, you know, for whatever reason, it's like let the sourdough sit there or the grandma's white or the oatmeal applesauce and focus on your spelt. Get that divided and shaped and then into the oven. 
Because what happens is they give it the same treatment as they do like a regular wheat bread. And if they don't focus on it, um, we've had problems with it being, would fall apart on people, you know, or, or that, or there's a big cavern in it. And that's from um, too weak of a gluten structure. And so then it just doesn't withstand the oven spring. And then, and so anyway, so they come back with it and they're not really that happy when they find holes in their bread. And I feel so bad. So if we ever discover that, we will slice all the loaves, make sure that there's no holes in them. But to avoid that, just kind of focus on it. Focus very carefully on your spelt as far as timing. So get that gluten developed and then just be careful not to overproof it. I do not recommend putting this dough in an oven on a proofing setting. It's too warm. If I had perfect rule for proofing my spelt, I'd proof it longer at a lower temperature. So I don't like, you know, because well, I'll say for most doughs, you know, they like these, you know, 75 degree type temperature, but spelt, if I had my preference, I'd do it at 65 degrees and just double the amount of proofing time. So a slower proofing time can develop more structure. Now in the bakery, we don't have that luxury. I mean, so our air conditioner only works so good. <laughs> and we, it also has to fight the oven. So more often than not, during our production, it's, it's 75 degrees in there. But if you at home, you have a little bit more flexibility and the luxury. So keep that in mind. Don't, don't try to increase the temperature, I guess, is the whole point of this. And the other thing is, is to find your spelt flour. I will tell you that it's not as easy to source locally. We've ran out and then I got to tell people we don't have spelt bread. And then they expect it. We make it every Sunday and they expect it. And then if we don't have it, they're just a little upset because they made all the trip there. And they generally want spelt. They don't want anything else. Gone to other food pantries, I've Whole Foods. And also, too, is we have a little co-op. Some, and sometimes they have spelt flour, but more often than not, they do not. So the food co-op's the only one in town that can get it for you in San Luis Obispo. I mean, obviously, people are listening who's coming to different markets. So you can, can source it online pretty easily. And so um, Bob's Red Mill has some spelt flour, and so does uh, Wheat Montana and King Arthur. And they're all big, pretty good quality brands. Well, actually, they're very good quality brands, I should say. And so that's what I would buy yourself a good amount because it's not that easy to get locally. And I would stick with the whole grain spelt. I just think that you're going to get a much more nutritional um, bang for it. And I happen to like the taste of spelt. It's actually one of my favorite loaves. It does have a little stronger, uh, kind, of, kind of like a nuttier type of, um, of taste. So that wheat taste that you taste in wheat, that you taste that more pronounced in spelt. And I happen to like it. What we're going to do is we're going to make it a sponge. And that was the secret. That was the difference between that recipe that that guy gave me, whatever, 15, 20 years ago, and the ones we do today. So whole grains should be done in a sponge method. It just softens up that hard exterior so it doesn't cut into your gluten development as much so. You want to start with the sponge is basically it's all your liquids and your yeast, most of your yeast. It has the sweetener, honey in it, and then your flour. And this recipe I'm going to give you is going to yield about three pounds. Um, so you're going to get a couple of loaves uh, out of this recipe. For the first step of the sponge, you're going to put two and a half cups of warm water, approximately about 100 degrees, two packages of active dry yeast, three-fourths a cup of honey that's approximately room temperature, 
two and a half cups of whole spelt flour. With all recipes, if you're not too sure about your yeast, you should proof it. That basically just means putting in, you know, just get like a half a cup of water or whatever, and put some water in there, warm water, and then put your yeast in there. And if you have any sugars, you can add that to it. And the yeast should dissolve and you should start seeing bubbles in a few minutes. And if you don't see the bubbles, then you might want to get some new yeast. So in your sponge, it's super wet. It's not the kneading stage. Okay, so the kneading happens later. So what you want to do is prepare your sponge and mix it. I mean, quite frankly, we use our hand at the bakery. So, I mean, we're doing, you know, a lot more, like 20 pounds of flour. But we bend over our mixing bowls and, and we do it by hand. It's just much easier than, you know, loading it up on the mixer and, and using the candy paddle. And so you just want to make sure that you're, honey will settle to the bottom of your bowl that get that gets incorporated with the yeast and whatnot and then just let it proof for about an hour and a half and then that's assuming your house is 70 to 75 if you've got a cooler house the 60 65 one let it go for about two to two and a half hours now let's say you've got a warm house and what i would do is try to bake spelt in the cooler part of the day first of all and then second of all, um, you kind of have to probably reduce the proofing time to more like an hour. So then after it's proofed, ideally about an hour and a half, but you know, that 70, 75 degrees, you want to turn your oven on to about 350. Just take your loaf pans. And it'll, like I said, it'll make it two, two loaves, but you can also make spelt dinner rolls. We do um, spelt dinner rolls, especially during the holiday season. We do quite a bit of those. Um, or you can do spelt baguettes. I mean, whatever shape you want you're going to now add in your second step. And that's where you add another package of active dry yeast, three and a half cups of whole spelt flour, and one tablespoons of salt. So your packages of active dry yeast are generally about three quarters of a tablespoon. Um, the first step was two packages. So that's a, a tablespoon and a half. And the second one's about three quarters. After you've added the second mix is when you're going to start the kneading. So if you want to learn more about kneading you can go to my youtube site you can also go to it's like episode number four i think believe is bread formations and i talk in detail about how to knead but basically what you're doing is you're pushing dough against dough and you're using your palms because that's where your strength is so the mistake new bakers make is that they start using their fingertips and you, you don't really have strength in your fingertips your strength is in your back and your shoulders so start using the heel of your palms and start pushing that dough and then flip it and then push it. And you certainly can use the mixer, especially if you're an experienced baker. But if you're learning, I would stick to hand kneading. It really will help you learn the feel of the doughs much more so. It's just not a machine in between you and your doughs, right? Okay, so now you're going to need, if you're hand kneading, you expect to knead about 10 minutes. Uh, mixer kneading is generally about six to eight minutes, but I still want you feeling the dough to make sure it is it is sufficiently developed. And then just throw them in your, you know, I would spray your pans or take some butter, olive oil, whatever you liked, so it just doesn't stick to the sides of the pan. And then now it's going to go at second rising, which takes place in the baking pan. How I look at it, it depends upon the, the warmth of the room. The warmer the room, so over 75 degrees, it's probably only going to proof for like 15, maybe 25 minutes at the most. It should get bigger. It doesn't double in size. So it's not like a white bread where it just doubles in size really quickly. 
Um, so expect it to grow about 25%. And then if you're in a cooler place, it's going to take you like maybe over an hour. I mean, literally, we will sit there over an hour in our bakery and let that thing proof. It bakes same temperature that all breads do. It has to get over 180. So 181 is actually the, the magic number. That's when uh, dough turns into bread. And this isn't a hard crusted bread. However, you could make it a little bit more hard crusted if you want. You don't want to make a traditional loaf, like a sandwich loaf. It's too hard because you're, by the time your insides, your outside is going to be harder and your insides um, is going to be to the point where it's going to be overbaked. And so you almost have to overbake your outside to get your insides properly baked. So if you do want a harder crust, it's smaller amount. Like do just, you'd have to do at least three of these loaves. Um, so, or do the petards or, you know, the shape like, like a football or a baguette. And then you can add some steam, bake it on a hot surface and get a little bit of a harder crust. But we have another recipe, which I add spelt to. And I'm going to cover that at some point because I really like it. It's called the Herbes de Provence. And the reason I like to add spelt flour to some of these recipes, complex flavor. Complex flavors can really combine well together and they can be um, unusually delicious. Um, and I will cover that in another episode. Oh, one other point here. You certainly can, just like you can in your wheat doughs, you can add nuts, seeds, grains, raisins, cranberries, you know, whatever. Um, but what you want to be careful about here is you want to do your add-ins. Um, what I would recommend is no more than a half a cup. I mean, if you want to go to three quarters of a cup, you can, but just don't do more than that. Um, and you get to the good dough stage. So it's after the kneading process is when you start kneading in and you just knead in your seeds, your grains, your nuts, your dried fruit, whatever you want, just until it's incorporated and then you stop. And the reason I caution you about overmixing at this point, especially by a machine. So if you're hand kneading, you really don't overmix. I mean, it's really hard, uh, but machines can. So be extra careful if you're using a mixer is that you want to just incorporate those add-ins and then be done with it. If you keep mixing after you've add in a bunch of walnuts, what happens is the walnuts cut into the gluten structure. So you spend all this time developing a beautiful gluten structure and then you add these hard objects <laughs> and, and you just like cut into all the gluten strands. And what happens is, is you don't get a good rise in the oven or it, and it or just falls apart on you. Basically, that, that's what happens for with doughs that are gluten has been destroyed or compromised. I should say would be a better word for it. And so once again, stick to no more than three quarters of a cup. Add in after the good dough stage just to incorporate it and then call it good. And you can add things on top of this dough too. I mean, don't go crazy on it, but you can add like a quarter cup if you want to add, sprinkle some more seeds on there or some raisins or whatever. And I've actually think this recipe goes well if you want to go a little more sweet with it. And one way you can do that is you can roll it out with a rolling pin and just do like cinnamon rolls, add a little bit of butter and then brown sugar and cinnamon. And what proportions there, it's like 16 to one. If you think of one cup of brown sugar to one tablespoon of cinnamon, that's your mixture. And then you can incorporate it and roll it up and make like a cinnamon roll loaf. Um, and we've done that and that has turned out really well. You got to be careful on your cinnamon measuring. And I'm making that point because I was helping my baker. I had a new baker last Friday and he 
um, was a little bit behind. So I made the apple pies that day and I made five apple pies and it calls for three tablespoons of cinnamon. And I just grabbed the cinnamon in my hand and threw it in there. <laughs> I hate to tell you, but I'm not much of a measurer. Anyway, it turned out and I was having it at home and I was like, this has just a little too much cinnamon. Cinnamon is one of those spices that you kind of have to get right. So this one you should actually measure um, accurately on your cinnamon because it kind of overpowers, it overpowered my apple pie. But my husband loved the pie anyway. And then he was teasing me about, oh, just had a little too much cinnamon because he heard me say that. And I told him if he says that again, I'm not bringing any more pie home. So he took that back pretty quick. But anyway, so on your spelt, because it has honey in it, it's much easier to take sweet than it is savory. But you are certainly welcome to experiment. You could add some jalapenos and cheese or, you know, whatever else and kind of play around with it. But I would say that I found a recipe without honey just isn't as good. And so that was part of the problem. In fact, I think I'm trying to think back now on that recipe I made years ago with that spelt from that bakery. But I think that was the problem. It had sugar in it and not very much, or it didn't have much. And the whole thing just tasted, um, just lacked flavor. And um, so honey is a flavoring that you can add um, that most people like. And so that's why it's in this recipe. But like I said, you know, the cool thing about bacon at home, you can do what you want to do. So let's say you want to cut out the honey, that's fine. But I probably would throw in another sweetener. I mean, like if you're like a 100% vegan, honey doesn't work for you. And you could certainly do use molasses, maple syrup, you know, and, or sugar for that matter. But I do encourage people that don't use honey to use more of a natural. Well, sugar is natural too, but it's kind of just a little more processed. So that's why I like maple syrup and molasses. So in the bakery, we use honey and molasses in our breads. And on your spelt, what I find is that um, once people try it, I mean, it it, it's a hard one to get people to want to sample. I mean, they come in the bakery, we've got a big sample board and you try to get them to try the spelt and they're just kind of like, why? I don't want something that's healthy. <laughs> they kind of want something a little more sweet or savory. Um, but once I get them talked into trying it, then um, they generally will buy the loaf. Um, and especially, like I said, people that have gluten intolerances, honestly, this is a great loaf. And if, so if you have friends and family that are in that category, I, I think they would be very happy if you baked them a loaf of spelt bread. And with any type of serving suggestions, this is just like a wheat bread. So it makes good toast, peanut butter toast, peanut butter and jelly. Um, we, you can make French toast with it. So yeah, sandwiches, the whole nine yards. Um, so I think it's, it's pretty much an Eve substitution. And I don't think you're going to taste all that added nutrition, but it's in there. Like I said, it's much more nutritious than, um, than wheat is. And it hits a lot of your daily rec recommended nutritional values. And so I will include, once again, some links in the show notes about the health benefits of spelt. And then on that note, everybody, happy baking.